The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. Well, let me pray for us and then we'll jump into Romans chapter 12. Jesus, we, we thank you that worship is, is never a performance in the sense that we act before you, but it is a performance in that we live before you that which is right, that which is holy, that which is good and pure. So if we, as we are mindful of, of these realities, help us this morning as we come to this final message on the evidences of a faith, faithful believer. Jesus, I know you have been convicting us in our hearts and helping us to work, work towards faithfulness. And as we do that this morning, we pray that you would encourage us that this word will not only pierce us, but bring healing, healing of old wounds, wounds we perhaps choose to ignore, but have never dealt with. And therefore, we trust this in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Dear friends, we are now in Romans chapter 12, coming to the fourth evidence of a faithful believer. The fourth evidence of a faithful believer. And a faithful believer faithfully endures hardships. Christian faithfully endures hardships. Friends, I do want to say that it's been a wonderful opportunity for us to be reminded of our role as we share our lives as individuals with the church. And so I pray that we aren't just convicted but encouraged, that we have direction now. Perhaps we have had questions in the past, where and how should I serve? You have direction from this word. Now, as I've explained in the past, the analogy is a circle. The circle starts with personal dealings. But this circle grows, so it expands to the Christian family. Then the circle it continues to expand, and that is what we learned last week was the love of strangers, is to open our home, to care and provide for our neighbor whom we do not know. This morning, I don't want to say the circle reaches its biggest or its limit, because it doesn't. However, this morning's evidence really stretches that circle. And we'll see in a moment why. It is because it concerns personal enemies. It concerns personal enemies. That's what I mean, the circle is now stretching, alright? When skin doesn't want to stretch, what happens? Stretch marks. <laughs> now, we want the circle to stretch. We don't want stretch marks. Spiritual stretch marks, alright? Please don't, let me just trademark that. Please don't use it in the future. That was horrible. But we come to this final evidence of a faithful believer, according to Romans 12. And I want to read for us from um, verse 16. It says the following, Live in harmony with one another. 
Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Behold, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the Lord's word this morning. And the first point is this. Coming to four realities of faithfully enduring hardships. Four realities of faithfully enduring hardships. The first one is be even. Be even or be level-headed. Right? Be balanced. And this reality is a personal hardship. People don't necessarily know that this is a struggle that you have. It's internal struggle. It has to do with putting away your own desires, your desires for isolation, and reaching out in the following three ways. So we'll deal with three areas of life where we can be even with those around us. Firstly, Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. In other words, it says, be of the same mind toward another. Be of the same mind toward another. It means to think of everybody the same, to treat everyone equally. Romans 15.5, as we just jump ahead, says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ. To the believer it means to share. Same theological position perhaps. And regardless of that, you share unity in Christ. So your difference of opinion theologically doesn't take place of what you understand Christ and His relationship to you means. Question is, how do we do this? Answer, Philippians 2, verse 1 through 2. Paul says again, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together with one voice you may glorify the God of, uh, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it flows out of what? Humility and love. It flows out of humility and love. My dear friends, is this a struggle that we often deal with? How well do we do? How well do we do? I want us to be sure that we are on the same level, that we are level-headed. And I see here, I misquoted 2 Timothy or Philippians 2. It says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That is an effort, isn't it? But friends, it's a personal effort. No one can do it for you. This is a reality we need to work with and through as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. Secondly, there's another area of being even, right? Paul says, since you are to treat everyone the same, my translation, don't become snobbish, but take a real interest in ordinary people. Paul's words says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Don't be snobbish. Don't ignore people because they seem to be of a lower standard or class as yourself. Paul says, be associated with the lowly instead. Haughty means to be high, means to be raised, means to be elevated. He says, don't do that. Don't become that. But be associated with the lowly instead, literally meaning to come down. Take a step down. Stop looking down at people, but step down. So in other words, don't pursue the high things, but be carried away with people of low estate. James warns us of this, right? James chapter 2. Sin of partiality. Someone comes through those doors. They have all the bling. I want to know this guy. I have to introduce myself to this guy. Someone looks as if they might seem homeless. Oh boy, another one of those. James says don't do that. Paul says don't do that. That is a personal area of growth which you need to deal with. Stop making these judgments in your head beforehand. Oh, this person has a really nice dress. This person doesn't. I'm going to go talk to this person. Paul says, don't, don't class. Don't associate or pursue the high things. Be carried away with the low things. The things of low estate. Because friends, we, we love to class. The world loves to class. Put people in categories. Paul says, don't do that. Be even. Now, it's best illustrated in Luke 14, verse 12. Luke 14, verse 12. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. In other words, you do this for someone who can do it, they'll return the favor. Jesus says, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus' own words. So go ahead and have your parties for the classy. I'm going to obey the Lord's word. And associate and be even with everyone. 
so that we aren't repaid by man, but that we will be repaid by Christ in the resurrection of the just. Because, friends, we do not have pure motives when we start to tag people according to various categories. That's not loving. Where did this all start? Romans 12, 9. Let your love be without hypocrisy, or love truly, love genuinely. So it's good to know, yes, that when you have folks over, perhaps they'll respond over and, 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 and have you over or give you a gift, but their gift cannot match what the Lord will give you. It doesn't come close. Next time you have a dinner, call the lowly. Because the lowly have nothing to do, or their position of, 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 of lowliness has nothing to do with their spirituality. When you judge someone by what they wear or how they speak, I'm sure of this, that you tie in their spiritual level with how they look and seem. Don't do that. Paul says don't do that. So you have to be even by treating everybody the same and by being associated with the lowly. But finally, there's a third area. Paul says, you cannot be wise in your own sight. You cannot be wise in your own sight. In other words, don't become wise with yourself thinking you know everything. Or better put, don't be satisfied that everything begins and ends with you. I'm hosting this because I can. Well, how about you're hosting this because someone needs it? Don't be wise in your own sight. Don't be... Don't say the following, you know. I'm smart enough to know that I don't want a group of fools over into my house. How do you know that? Or you would say, I only want to have people over who are on my level. Listen, friends, there are no social classes in the body of Christ. And if they are there, you put them there. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So where does it start? Your relationship with God. You want to be wise? Be wise in the Lord. Know when to speak and hold your peace. Here's the deal. The person who is wise in his own eyes is rarely so in the eyes of other people. Sometimes when people act to try to be wise, act smart, they end up looking like fools. These are three areas Paul says we need to deal with. Now to you, this might feel like a spiritual hardship. Because this is how it's always been. Just assume, but it's right for me to live and think and act in this way. To many, this seems as if it's normal. Yeah, amen, I agree. I grew up that way. Be even. That's how you faithfully endure a hardship 
having people over, being humble enough to be of the same mind as those who stand opposite you, being wise to know you're not the one with all the information in the room, right? It's a challenge, but the question stands, how transformed are your attitudes right now? Is this something you can deal with? Is this something you have been dealing with? Or is this something you just will ignore? And you won't work it through? Like, yep, I hear you, but don't feel like it. Are you practicing humility through Christian unity by living in harmony with those around you? Are you associated with the lowly? And are you aware of your dependence on the Lord when it comes to discerning these things? Are you faithfully enduring the truth of being even? If not, this means, my dear friend, you and the Lord have something to work with, to work on. So our first reality of faithfully enduring hardship starts inside. It starts in our heart. And that's where we need to deal with it. It brings us to a second reality though, and that is be respectable. Be respectable. Verse 17. Be honorable. Be respectable. Same thing. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Alright? John Calvin once said, Revenge is a passion unbecoming the children of God. Emergency. I'll say it again. John Calvin once said, Revenge is a passion unbecoming the children of God. Meaning it's improper for the Christian. Yep, but the Old Testament says an eye for an eye. Jesus said, I say no longer an eye for an eye. How do you deal with that? How do I not repay evil for evil? One writer said, A man who studies revenge keeps his own wounds green. Men must not turn into bees and kill themselves in stinging others. Do you know what that refers to? A man who studies revenge keeps his own wounds green? Gain green. Right? It means the, the wound has become so infected. It's, it's killing you now. But you're the root cause of it. You're the one pursuing it. When you study ways to get back at people, consider the following story. True story, by the way. I'm sure some of the men will enjoy this. During the Korean War, and I'm just, I said that because I know back in the day you had to go through military training. During the Korean War, American soldiers rented a house for themselves and they 
rented or hired a Korean houseboy to work for them. But here's the thing, he was a cheerful, spirited young man, alright? Willing to serve, keen, he was excited about this. But the soldiers too, they were young. So they loved playing tricks on this poor man. What they would do is they would literally nail his shoes to the floor. And they would put a bucket of water on the door so that when he had pushed it open, the bucket would fall on him. So they would play all kinds of tricks on this poor young man. And he always took it in such a polite way. Right? He took it as if it would be, you know, good humor. And finally, these people became ashamed of themselves. I mean, they keep on insulting this young lad and he's just too good about it. <laughs> so they call him in one day and they say to him, We've been doing all these mean things to you and you have taken it so beautifully. We just want to apologize to you and tell you that we are never going to do these things again. Right? He said, you mean no more nail shoes to floor? They said, no more. He said, you mean no more water on the door? They said, no more. He said, okay then, no more spit in soup. <laughs> Paul says, be careful to do what is right in the sight of everybody. Don't just act it out. Don't, don't seem as if it doesn't affect you. If it affects you, it affects you. And you need to deal with that before the Lord. Don't go in secret and spit in the soup. Paul says that we need to be careful to do what is right in the sight of everybody. Now, to pay back means literally to give back. Implying that there's a debt. Right? You do this to me, I, I owe you. Right? Hence the spit in the soup. I owe you. It, it conveys the idea that I now have a responsibility to get you back. You do this to me, I am now responsible for getting you back. Isn't that how most of us grew up? Play silly games like dead leg. Someone punches you in the leg and it literally feels like a wooden leg. It is my obligation to return the favor. Paul says, no. no. No repaying evil for evil. But that's the re natural reaction. When something evil is being done to us, we want to act against evil with evil. So the lesson is this. We have to premeditate. A reaction. We have to premeditate a reaction so that we would do good when evil comes. Now, circumstances will differ, so it might always be something else. But this tells us that it's a preparation process. Be prepared for when evil comes your way to respond with respect. That's what Paul says. Now, what should you premeditate? Paul tells us goodness. So somebody comes, they, they do something really evil to you. What do you do? 
you do something good to them in a way that can be seen. So it's, it's something visible. You don't just think in your mind, oh, pal, you're, you're lucky. I could have said this and this and this. That's not any good. Paul says, in the sight of all, do something that is honorable or respectable. It's not a private emotion. It isn't a private thought. It's a visible act of goodness so that we return something good and something kind and something gracious to those who choose to injure us. Right? So I said, the circle expanding, this is where it gets tight. This is where it gets hard. Because we don't always feel like it's something we want to do. I don't want to turn the other cheek, right? I don't want to give away the cloak. Therefore, we need to premeditate a respectable reaction. Now, that doesn't mean taking a punch, alright? doesn't mean just, yep, just bring another one. You can respectfully prevent the situation from getting any worse. Putting a stop to things in a respectful manner. So it doesn't mean just taking the punches. Paul says, return the favor with goodness. Now to cover the, a multitude of sins, do you think that's something good? Of course it is. Of course it is. So, this brings us to another hardship that we need to endure. And that is to be agreeable. Be agreeable according to verse 18. Paul says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse really close to my heart. But what the text says is so clear that there are some people that when you try and make peace with them, it's just impossible. Now you have peace in your heart with the situation, peace in your heart with the person, but that relationship is so far from restoration. And it, it is just as if that relationship cannot be prepared. Friends, it happens. And the Bible addresses it. Alright? Paul says, whether you've tried everything, whatever there is to do, you've tried that, and it just doesn't seem to work out. Why doesn't it? The reality is, it takes two to make peace. So if it's possible, don't let the conflict come from you. Make peace on your side. Seek to be the peacemaker in a world full of troublemakers, right? Now it's hard. Because in that moment you don't feel like pursuing peace. You want to go to war. You already have the strategy in the back of your mind. You already have the weapons ready. That's why Paul says premeditate goodness. Don't premeditate the retaliation. But goodness... And so the, re the reality is, in spite of all that we do, the other pe person just does not want to make peace. There's a comforting reality to this. A lot of the times, this person is mad at God 
and you represent God to this person. So they're in a sense, you know, this could be the comforting reality. You're not the problem, but you're the closest to the problem. Therefore, you're going to get it. And it's really, really sad. But Paul's point is, don't provoke a quarrel and then claim to be persecuted for righteousness sake. Be the one pursuing peace, right? And if there's no peace, if there's, there's no reconciliation, Paul says, if possible. If it's possible. Now listen, this is important. If someone rejects this, if a difficult person doesn't want to be on friendly terms and they reject it, it's not your fault. But seeking peace does not include compromising key biblical truths for the sake of peace. The fundamentals. If you and a relative are going at it, let's say you are arguing about the difference in salvation, you do not compromise for the sake of peace. You hold to the truth. Because ultimately, the truth brings peace. The truth sets us free. So don't compromise for peace in that sense. Paul wouldn't make peace with the Judaism. Judaizers. Why? Because they insisted that there be circumcision, otherwise faith isn't valid. In fact, Paul confronts Peter over this hypocrisy because Peter was trying to entertain it and be on their good side. Paul rebukes him and says, you can't do that. So sometimes it's a sin to make peace. Do you follow In this sense. <laughs> don't now turn around and say, but man, I really don't like that person. And if we make peace, it's going to be sinful. We need wisdom. We need discernment. And we need to know when to stand firm. So while handling, or while holding to God's truth and God's standards, we should be willing to go to great lengths to build peaceful bridges to those who hate us. To those who wish harm upon us. We have to forsake any grudge or unsettled bitterness. And fully forgive from the heart all those who wish to harm us. Because when you don't and you cling to that problem. Who is now sinning? It's you. Yeah, but that person. That person sins aren't going to be added to your account. You need to pursue repentance and reconciliation and work this through. So we have to forsake any grudge, any bitterness, and fully forgive from the heart those who wish to harm us. And once we've done that, we can honestly seek a sense of reconciliation. It brings us to a final few verses on enduring hardships. It's a hard word, right? It's a little piercing. It's because that circle is stretching. So the final point is this. Be without 
retaliation. Be without retaliation. From verse 19, it says the following. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Therefore, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, seeing that we've been in the Minor Prophets on Fridays, I want to borrow something from Nahum. Nahum. Chapter 1, verse 2, he says the following, A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries and He reserves wrath for His enemy. What's the comfort? The Lord is at hand. Right? The Lord is at hand. So God is a God of love, God of grace. He is. But we can never take one of His attributes and put it over the rest. So that's you know, it's just God is love. That's it. God is also God of wrath and justice and righteousness. Therefore, Paul says, don't defend yourself. The Lord will defend you. Well, not defend, but don't avenge yourself. The Lord will avenge you. So Paul gives two reasons why you should not avenge yourself. The first one is because God is already doing it. God is already avenging you. He says, for it is written, well, sorry, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Leave it to the wrath of God. Or, some translations might say, leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God's wrath. God knows you've been insulted. God knows you've been harmed. He knows and He's already doing something about it. It's not your trial in the sense that you're alone. This is a hardship you must endure, but the Lord is at hand. Secondly, God alone claims the right to vengeance because He alone can work without injury to all concerned. You know what happens when you take revenge? Someone else also usually gets hurt. Someone unaffected by it. Because you cannot control the circumstances. So you injure your relationships at home. You sour relationships in the church. Because you want your revenge. Paul says, leave room for the wrath of God. He will do it in a way that will be redemptive. He won't injure any other person, but He will bring whomever out. Right? Never give God a chance or 
never take God's chance, because we know in a sovereign sense you can't do that anyway, by taking matters in your own hands. You say, no, but God, you're not doing anything about it. I'm not seeing anything happen. I'm not seeing anything take place. I'm not experiencing peace. I'm overwhelmed. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. Give room for the wrath of God. You are not sovereign. You are not all wise. And you, don't, you do not know the end of the beginning. And who knows, God may bring redemption on those who are disciplined. Amen? So Paul says it's wrong for you to take this in your own hands. We can't be like Jonah, right? When, when Jonah was sent to Nineveh and the Ninevites repented, what did Jonah do? Did he rejoice? No. He was upset. He was angry at God. Why do you do this? Why didn't you wipe them out like you said you would? He will bring about vengeance the way He will. And if that leads to repentance and redemption, then praise God. Don't be upset about it. Yeah, but I didn't want this person to get saved. Wow. But that's thoughts. That's sometimes our heart's desire. But we have to repent of that. Can't entertain these ideas. We get angry because, you know, God's vengeance wasn't in the way we would have wanted it. But Paul reminds us that God is already avenging. And so leave room for Him. Because God alone claims the right to vengeance. And He alone works that out. Don't try and give Him a hand, okay? He's got this. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. Now, our verse continues. Paul says the following. If your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him, right? If he's thirsty, do what? Give him drink. Don't give him vengeance. Give him help. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. I've been asked to a couple of times what this refers to, but I found in MacArthur's commentary where this comes from, where this analogy comes from. There's an old Egyptian ritual that when a man in the Egyptian culture wanted to demonstrate his public shame or his guilt and he wanted to show repentance, he would carry on his head a pan of burning coals. Imagine that. A pan of burning coals. Which were supposed to represent the burning pain of shame. The, the burning pain of, of guilt. So Paul is saying, when you treat an enemy with, with love, and you feed him and you quench his thirst, you put on his head a burning shame for the evil that he has done. Wow. Alright. Didn't see that one coming. You expose the shamefulness of their hearts by doing what? By doing something good. You expose the sinfulness of their hearts. Amazing. And that's why Paul concludes with verse 21. 
Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do that which is right. The word overcome is, is nika, where we get the word Nike. Americans love to say Nike. But ultimately it means victory. It means victory. So Paul says, be a victor over evil. How? By doing good. Do good and you've already overcome. You have victory over evil. Be really corny to just say, just do it. Just do it, right? And that's where we draw the line this morning. Paul says we need to be victors over evil by doing good. And I want to sum up real short, maybe two paragraphs. Just sum up what we've learned from this series. As a faithful believer, from verse 9, we love purely. We hate evil and we hold to that which is good. Right? That's personal. That's where the circle starts. But the circle has to expand. Because a faithful believer is concerned with others by showing them on honor and by ultimately serving the Lord in doing so. And when trials come, we face those trials with hope and joy as we see those around us enduring the same kind of troubles. Paul taught us that we also reach out to them and share our possession and our homes for everyone who has a need. And when we encounter hardships in our service to Christ, we bless those who oppose us and those who persecute us. We do not regard only those who are high people, but we love to follow fellowship equally with those on the lowest level and who are marked by humility. A faithful believer does not return evil against evildoers out of spite, but we desire to overpower them with good and leaving room for God's wrath or vengeance. Because in the end, as Paul says, we will be the overcomers. Because in Christ, we, have, we hold the victory already. In Christ, there's no condemnation. In Christ, there's no judgment at the end. Friends, in Christ, hear me out. Let me just throw this in the bin for, for those who love to quote otherwise. In Christ, this is your worst life now. This is the worst Alright? It only gets better. Famous author says, this is best life now. If this is my best life, boy, then I want to believe in the doctrine of annihilism. Because I don't want to know what comes next. It only gets better, friends. Therefore, let's give thanks and prepare our hearts for communion. I'm going to give us a few minutes. I'm not going to say anything, but I want to give you a few minutes uh, just to pray, and then I'll lead us in prayer as we take part in the Lord's table.